Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. And oh, did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. We are 50 days away from the 2023 NFL Draft. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode 20. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, good old Rick Spielman, who's more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. And wait, what? what's that? We got Brady Quinn here, too? That's right. A four-star out of Dublin Coffin High School, the face of Notre Dame football. And the Browns' first-round pick, Brady Quinn, joins the show. Hey, how you like that intro, Brady? That was big. That was way more than I think I remember working <laughs> with you last time, so I appreciate the big intro. It's definitely not necessary, though. It's you you know this podcast is getting ready to take off if we can get a Brady Quinn on this podcast. Oh, this no. is the best guest we've ever had on so far. We only had two, Brady. <laughs> it's the best. Hey. I've been lobbying for a long time to get on with you guys, so I'm glad that uh, Debo finally made this happen. So thank you, Debo. That's right. Producer Debo's here. And so today we're going to talk quarterback rankings with Rick and Brady, get perspectives from the GM who had to find the QB and the guy who actually played the position. We'll also talk player comps because everybody loves those team fits and historical rankings. And in case you missed it on the last show, Rick and I recapped our week in Indianapolis at the combine with some good old winners and losers. And that episode is in the feed. We're back tomorrow, Rick, for Mock Draft Thursday. We'll be joined by our colleague Josh Edwards to break down another Mock Draft and this one's got trades, Rick, so look for that. All right. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I, You know, at night and when I know we're doing a mock draft, I can't sleep at night. It's just <laughs> how excited I get to come on and give my a professional opinion, somewhat professional opinion on the mock drafts that these guys are putting together. But, Brady, just so you know, you, I have the utmost respect for the work that these guys put in to do the mock drafts. I, 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 did, I, I did find it interesting. I don't know if you're being facetious right now, but I did find it interesting to hear. I, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, never mind then. Because I was going to say in one of the episodes, I did hear a clip where you said you guys would look at other mock drafts, which I found interesting. And maybe it was just an exercise to look at like trade scenarios and things like that, how you'd handle it. But either way, I found that interesting that you would pay any attention whatsoever to some of the mock drafts out there. Oh, it gave me some material to be sarcastic in the draft meetings. When we, do you believe this guy put this up here? 
Brady, I was, was going to say, you guys don't have much personality in the uh, the front office types. You guys usually are just like the boring. Yeah, you know, very stoic. Yeah. And I found out I do have a funny side when I got in front of the media, in front of this camera now, and it keeps getting worse the more I do. Wait a second. Who told you you had a funny side? Me. I told myself that. Oh, okay. Okay. Remember, I'm the, the person, my job and role on this podcast is to promote and build self-esteem. And that's what I do. And Ryan is a very fine young man. So, and he will say that plenty of times as we go through this draft, this quarterback ranking. So Brady, this is what I'm up against. And you want to see he and and Prisco together. That's, that's like trying to corral two, two year olds and get them like in their car seats and get them out the door. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. Well, Prisco is the bad student in the class. You know, Rick's the teacher. It's just Prisco won't listen. So. All right, one more thing. Let me get through this. Uh, this promo D- Debo wants me to read. Then we can get to it. Friendly reminder, we're now three times a week. I just mentioned that Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 2 p.m. You can watch us live on YouTube at NFL on CBS. And while you're there, subscribe and leave a comment. And if Spirit moves you, drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, Brady, because I know you're dying to know, we're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at NFL Draft CBS. All right, let's get to it. We're here, finally. Talk to football. I'm going to do some quick news first before we get into the quarterbacks. And, and um, Rick, I'll ask you this first. I don't know if you saw the news, but Andrew Voorhees, the offensive uh, lineman, the guard out of USC, he tore his ACL at the combine. He went on to do the bench press, and he put up over 29, I think. But my question to you is, and you've said this the entire time about the process, the most important thing at the combine are the medicals and the interviews. Ironically, the medicals are now changed on Andrew. Is there any reason for that young man to be working out? Yes, there is. And unfortunately, you know, he tore his ACL and very rarely does anyone get hurt in those workouts. But unfortunately, because I really like him as a football player, I think he has a chance to be a a legitimate starting guard in this league. He's big, he's massive, but unfortunately he tore his ACL. I know there's always insurance policies put in place in case something like this happens. Usually when you do the insurance policies, and I don't want to step out of my lane as a lawyer, but they usually put the value of where they would potentially get drafted. So I do believe that it was an ACL, depending on what the medical looks like. It it may hurt him a little bit, but I still think he's going to get drafted. He's just too good of a football player uh, not to get an opportunity. And I'm sure that he had some kind of insurance policy put in place in case stuff like this does happen. Unfortunately, it did to him. Yeah, it's becoming a lot more common. Uh, you see now in the college ranks, and even you know some universities will now pay for players when they come back for an additional year. If they were already draft eligible the year prior, uh, they'll pay for that insurance policy. And that policy will go all the way up uh, to when they actually get drafted. And um, there's a permanent disability policy that you can take out. Obviously, if you get injured in playing or something happens, you can never play again. And then there's obviously a loss in value. And that loss in value usually works where, you know, if you get picked outside of this said number, whatever that is, um, you know, you get the difference between what you're offered and then and, and what you would have potentially made. And so, for example, when I came back to my senior year, I had an, an insurance policy, which, Lordy, the premiums were so expensive back then. They they were so much cheaper now because there's so much more competition in the marketplace. But I, I digress. Um, I believe if I would have fallen due to injury anywhere outside the top 12, top 14 picks, 
I would have gotten the difference of, um, you know, wherever I would have been drafted. And I think um, like 12 or 14 million, something like that. I have to go back and look at it, but every policy is different, but usually guys who were draft eligible the year before, if they do come back, they have one of these policies. And even some of the guys who become draft eligible have them. So they are covered for an incident like this, but you just hope Voorhees had one. Brady, let me follow up with you because I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you had the PCL injury in your bowl game. Is that right? So yeah. no, no senior bowl. Did you do anything on the field? What? No senior bowl. He was hurt. He was I, hurt. I, I went to it, but no senior bowl. So uh, I was, I was, I was upset about it. I would have loved to go to the senior bowl. I went down, <laughs> uh, said hello, talked, uh, talked to some coaches and then, uh, then left. That was pretty much it. It was a very short trip to the senior bowl. You'll hear it sooner. Uh, probably in, in the next few minutes, Rick is very serious about competition. He asked Will Levis to his face. He said, why weren't you in the senior bowl? Because he had some serious questions. So I would, you, more, I would be more curious to hear your, your, your question, Stetson Bennett, about that one. That would have been a little more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard some things about Stetson Bennett, too. We'll get to that in a second. Um, did you do anything at the Combine, Brady, because of the PCL? No, no. And and actually, I didn't even – we we set up, and this was in advance of of all this, the, uh, the pro day was like a week after Indianapolis. I think – Charlie Weiss's thinking was, you know, all these guys like Rick Spielman would just say, hey, we'll just come up from Indianapolis. We, we love spending time in Indiana, so we'll just drive <laughs> up to go to South Bend, Indiana for a pro day. And I didn't even test at the pro day just because I wasn't 100%. Um, couldn't really, like, push and be as explosive as I wanted to. So I ended up doing all the interviews, t- medical testing and all that. Um, and then I think I bench pressed because the, uh, the scout – and, Rick, you can confirm this. There are scouts that kind of walk around with each group, right? Yeah, up. So we had Denver's. And so Denver's scout, obviously Jake Cutler the year before he did bench press, like he was like, he just kept putting, he's like, come on, man, I know you can put up a big number. If you're not going to do it, like do something. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching every guy have to go up there and tell them that they're not benching. And so I called uh, Charlie Weiss. He cussed me out. So it was the stupidest thing he ever heard in his life. <laughs> I called my agent and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And, and I was uh, represented by Tom Cotton. And Tom, you know, he just, Hey, Braids, uh, don't think that's a good idea. Um, you know, you're a pro day coming up at the at, at the end of the week. And, you know, I just I don't think that'd be very smart. And so, of course, like any young idiot, I hang out the phone and, you know, I get a little more of like a, a nudge to actually just go go bench press. So I, that's the only thing I did. And, and that absolute least important thing that you could have for a quarterback. But it was really the only thing I felt comfortable doing at that point. And, and one and thing Rick, that I will say, yeah. Rick, you love that, that right? Yeah, well, no, I don't because oh. he was a quarterback. Oh, come so, on. You know, it's okay if some guy tears his pack, but a quarterback tearing his pack is a whole different ball game now. So that was a little bit uh, a risky. risky. I don't ever remember worried about a bench press on a quarterback. I don't even think we ever even looked at what the quarterback benched. Um, but I would hope out of any position that that – part of the combine if they're asking them to bench or at the pro day bench that's the most ridiculous uh test out of all especially f- or for a quarterback especially for a quarterback but yeah. it was so, something I, I really didn't train for either um during my time obviously i was rehabbing mostly but what a humble to start and trying to work on everything else but yeah well, so rick you remember even- how many reps you got uh it was a good amount it was a good amount he got 24 that's the word i'm hearing does that sound right? Well, you embarrass all your offensive linemen and your receivers and everybody else on the uh, Notre Dame team that you came out of. Well, Rick, I think this was Monday when we were traveling or just gotten back. I saw Brady on HQ with Jeremy St. Louis, and they were just going through his 
experience at the combine, no shirt on. And that's all they were showing with the images of Brady looking like Thor up there. And uh, I, that's why he did 24. And by the way, Rick, you have a, a limit on your competitiveness. If you don't want the core, I thought you'd be pumped that Brady's like, I'm just going to do this even though I'm hurt. But you, you even you don't want Brady lifting weights. No, I love competitiveness. I don't like dumbness. So. Okay. <laughs> fine line. The fine line, Brady. I found that out pretty I, was, I would take one shot at Brady, and then the rest of the time, I'm going to tell you how much I respect all the work you do and get them prepared for this show. The sad thing is that I know Rick and his, and his brother Chris are both Ohio guys that love the weight room. And oh. so it's sad to hear a guy like that who's just getting so far away from his roots. He's gotten so soft now living <laughs> in the West Coast of Florida. Brady, I, I've spent the better part of three weeks with Rick over the last month and a half. And I told this on the podcast. I'll just give you the highlights. This man won an amateur powerlifting competition with torn muscles. He is, as as Prisco called him, he is as meat heady as it gets. <laughs> so he is he has not gotten away from from his roots. I think the only person who congratulated me, by the way, was my dad, who was a Marine, right? Like he was the one who got me into weightlifting early. You know, and like after it came out that I bench pressed, you know, Charlie was still cussing me out, and, and I think Tom Condon was just like, "That was the dumbest thing I've ever had a player do." I was like, "Sorry." I was like, this guy could egg me on. So yeah, and if anyone's watching this live on YouTube or whatever platform you're watching it on, and you see Ryan Wilson's hairline receding back even farther than when we started together, the reason why is the travel with me over the past three weeks. Oh, that's not true, Rick. That's not true. One last question question on the on the combine, Brady, and then we'll move on. I don't know if you if you saw that we spoke to to Michael Mayer on the set. Fantastic human being, and um. He's my tight end one. I think Rick is still on board with that. But he said in the interviews with one of the teams that will remain, remain nameless until we get off the air, he was asked to sing a song. And he picked Miley Cyrus. He had to sing Miley Cyrus in front of the group. Rick thought it was sort of weird and, and maybe even stupid. I don't put words in Rick's mouth. What's the weirdest thing you were asked in any of these interviews? Because I don't think it was anything like that, I would imagine. I wasn't asked anything really that weird, honestly. Um, it was mostly just talking scheme, talking ball. Like, I can't remember it. There was one coach who they actually were in more of like a dire circumstance. They didn't up, they actually ended up not drafting a quarterback that year. They ended up signing, a, a, I think, a free agent or trading for a veteran quarterback. Um, but he, like, really, like, got intense and, like, put me on the spot and was like, are you ready to come in and take over a franchise? Like, there's a lot of people's jobs on the lines, all this stuff, and – I mean, I'd already been through a coaching change, so I was very well aware of, of what's at stake, especially when you go to whether it's an NFL franchise or a top university, the fact that there's a lot of you know people's livelihoods that are on the line. So, you know, and that was one of the things that always like hung with me too, thinking back to my time in Notre Dame. So uh, I was unfortunately prepared to like kind of respond to that. But the thing that I recall the most, and fortunately I didn't have to interview with this team. But apparently the Jets, and this was back, I want to say, I'm trying to think who their head coach was at the time. I don't know if it was Mangini or not. I think it might have been Mangini. But they would go in, and obviously, and Rick knows, like you walk in these small rooms, there's, some of them, there's a lot of people there. And so you're like shaking hands, you know, introducing yourself. You get someone's name, get someone's name, get someone's name. Well, apparently they were like, the, the player would sit down, they'd be like, who's that guy? And yeah. they'd be like, uh, uh, I don't, and they'd be like, well, that, that's, that's offense coordinator. Like you, you don't know an offense coordinator of the league or whatever. And who's that guy? Well, that's your position. Like, so I, I guess they test players like that. Um, I remember I, I, I Tom kind of represented Peyton Manning. And so he kind of talked to me before the draft. So I would remember like the like biggest thing for prep 
was like going through flashcards of faces wow. of like people in the front office and coaching staffs, just so you always knew everyone's name. And it was never foreign to you, depending on who you ended up talking with. But um, apparently the Jets played that game with a lot of players and guys came out like spinning. Like that was basically the entire interview, just them being made fun of for not knowing anyone's name in the room. Rick, yeah, were you on the Rick? Were you yeah, on the Jet staff in 2007? Because that sounds no, like familiar. I was not, but I do remember one of my. Uh, he's a he's a very good football player in the league right now, and he did not associate with me. We were doing the interview, and I just we had like 15 people in the room, like Tom or like uh, Brady was uh, describing, and we were just sitting there chatting. And he looked at me and goes, "Well, what do you do?" And I says, "Well, I scout the northeast part of the country. I'm a northeast scout, and I." cross-check this position. I'm not going to name the position. So carried on and all the people in the room were just busting up laughing because I was talking about, well, you remind me of so-and-so from Tufts College up there <laughs> or Rhode Island. I said, I think you're a little better than him. And this guy was a player that went in the first round and then finally he put two and two together. And all of a sudden his whole demeanor changed once he found out what my role was and it wasn't the uh, Northeast scout. I have a quick question for Rick because I, I found this out while working the combine as part of the media and it, it blew my mind. Cause you know, you get assigned to the combine and you have a roommate, which, you know, when you're in college, like unless you're living in a house with some of their guys and all that, you know, you're not really sharing a room with someone, at least it wasn't for, for a while. Um, so I'm not going to say what particular player, but it was a running back and he did. I happened to ask him, I said, Hey, who's your roommate? And he's looked at me and he'd been there for a couple of days now. He goes, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, I don't know. He goes, we just keep crossing paths. We never really are in the room at the same time unless we're like asleep or he's asleep when I get there. I'm asleep when he gets there. I said, so you're sleeping next to a complete stranger who's like five feet away for the past two days and you still don't know their name. And, and the best part was I saw him when I was broadcasting, calling a game. And he never found out who his roommate was the entire combine. Is that not a red flag for a player, Rick? Well, you think, you know, I always had the rule of thumb. Uh, whoever, or I shouldn't say that, never mind. But you, if anyone you're sleeping with or sharing a room with, probably would be a very good indicator that you might want to ask at least their name uh, as you go forward in life. <laughs> I love how you... Uh... And then there's another life lesson from Brady Quinn and how to move, proceed forward at the combine. There you go. Lift weights. On, don't wear a shirt and know your roommate. Yeah. No one wears shirts for weigh-ins. Don't be putting that on me. They told, they told us all everyone had to strip down, man. So when I was actually scouting, I should have had my shirt on since I was watching instead of weighing in. Yeah. Rick was doing push-ups with the, <laughs> the other guys were trying to. So Rick was shirtless too next to all the players. I just was trying to make everybody feel comfortable at home. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, those are just the Spielmans. Don't worry about it. They do that every year. It's a thing they do. <laughs> All right. Let's talk quarterbacks. So we got a quarterback here, Rick. And uh, instead of going through the, the top four guys that we've talked to death, we'll get to those guys in a second. Let's start with some sleepers outside the top five. And, and five includes Hinton Hooker for our causes here. So uh, I'll go through the, the list of names uh, of guys we're going to talk about. Rick, you're going to talk about Jake Hayner out of Fresno. Uh, Brady, you're going to talk about Tanner McKee out of Stanford. We haven't talked a lot about him at all. And then I'll talk about my guy, Aiden O'Connell, out of Purdue. So, Rick, I'll start with you. And, and we saw Jake Hayner down at the Senior Bowl. It was, a, it was a rough going for all the quarterbacks there. Where do you see Jake Hayner going in the draft? Because that's what 
fans want to know teams that need a, a quarterback, almost certainly a backup quarterback, where might we see him go off the board? I'm not trying to create a monster out of him. I know I mentioned him a week ago and Brady, I apologize. I took your sleeper and you had to pick another sleeper, but I have a couple other sleepers. So, and I know their names if I'm (laughs) not quoting tenant sleeper, but that's another, (laughs) we digress. (laughs) But uh, when I watched his tape, you know, he um, not the most talented arm, Um, you know, he's accurate, short and intermediate, uh, his deep balls off a little bit. He has a real sense, uh, in the pocket. He's not going to threaten anybody with his legs yet. He made a couple plays. So he's not a phenomenal great athlete or anything like that, but this kid is such a gritty competitor and he just finds a way to win and finds a way to be productive. And the guy that I kind of compared him to was when we had Case Keenum, who's not the most physically gifted, but he's smart. He's intelligent. He has savvy for the position. And somehow he figures out how to win games. I don't say this kid's going to be a starter. I think he's a late round uh, type talent that someone will take a swing on, maybe a practice squad guy to start off. But there's something about his game that no matter the lack of height, weight, speed, athleticism, arm talent, this kid just knows how to play football and knows how to play the position. So I think he has a chance uh, down the road. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Brock Purdy that comes up, but I think this guy is a really good football player and knows how to play the position. It's an interesting uh, comparison when you you mentioned Brock Purdy, like because Purdy played a lot of football at Iowa State. Um, kind of had a knack for being tough, being a good leader, like all the qualities that I think you're looking for, some of those intangibles. Um, and, and even though their offense, it wasn't necessarily predicated on throwing the football around a ton. I mean, they probably targeted the tight ends more than anyone in college football uh, and, and, and heavily led by their, their ground attack, especially when Brees Hall was there. Uh, but but that's like a, almost a fair comp. You know, you mentioned the fact that I like uh, Jay Kanner. I love Jay Kanner. I think – the kid plays with this chip on his shoulder. If you look at his backstory, kind of a so- SoCal kid, didn't really get the recruitment that I think he was looking for. Um, finds his way to, to to Fresno and ends up, you know, to me being a guy who was kind of a giant slayer. You know, really sees the moment when playing bigger opponents. Uh, to me, can make all the throws. Uh, I don't know that he does anything extraordinarily well, but he's he's one of those kids that I think there's something to him, and he's not the type of kid you want to bet against. And, and it's funny you mentioned Case Keenum. Because he's probably similar in that respect. I mean, even though Case was extremely prolific during his college years, um, you know, I, I think there's something to Jake Hainer too, where both him and Case are the two types of guys you meet and you say, you know, if I was going up with that, against that guy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against him. You know, like there's something to him. There's some grit. There's, there's something else there. So uh, I, I love the fact you got Hainer as a sleeper. I, I definitely think he is in this draft class. All right, Brady, let me ask you about Tanner McKee because we really haven't talked about him much through the draft process. Part of me wanted him to go back to school. Um, Stanford had a tough year all around. He's not Davis Mills athletically or with the arm strength. Uh, he measures 6'5", 231 at the combine. He had this, uh, among the smallest hands there. He had the same size hands as Jake Kaner, nine and three eighths inches. Where, where are you on Tanner McKee? Should he have come back? And what is he going to give a football team that, that makes you think that, okay, he should go ahead of, for example, a Jake Kaner or Aiden O'Connell? Yeah, I'd love to get Rick's opinion on this as far as how he views a guy like this and whether or not he should have come back. I think as a, you know, a former player, I look at it and say, I, what was he coming back to? You know, Stanford's really hit a rut right now, and David Shaw's no longer there. you got a coaching change. Uh, is that really something you want to be a part of? 
uh, and hang around for that? Or why not just try to go to the NFL now and, and, and start uh, potentially your professional career? Uh, I, I think he did some good things on tape. I mean, look, he's a very accurate quarterback. It doesn't matter what level you're talking about. When you kind of comb through the tape, there's not a lot of separation from Stanford's pass catchers. And that was something you noticed that the ball play was, was fantastic. Um, so, you know, that's one of the, the big things I think that stood out to me. They run more of an NFL-style system as far as what he's asked to do at the line of scrimmage. I don't think he's going to walk in uh, to any NFL offense and have any problem. You know, he'll have to obviously have a learning curve, but compared to what a lot of other systems look like in college, he won't have an issue with, with what's going to be on his plate and what he's asked to do. Uh, his footwork was very consistent. All the things that I think you're looking for at the NFL level, you know, from playing under center, footwork within the pocket, all those things that I don't know that they need a ton of work with. It's just, you know, what's his upside um, when you're looking at him as a player, as you pointed out, he doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, there's times when you kind of question some of his decisions, um, you know, pre-snap, it almost looks like he's making up his mind where he wants to go with the football. And there's times he got in trouble doing that. And he's not a very good athlete, which, you know, he's probably more of a throwback from 20, 30 years ago, the type of, of size that you're looking for at the quarterback and what his skill set is compared to what today's NFL skill set is where you like to see the guy have a little bit more mobility. So, um, I'm not sure how much good it would have done for him to come back for another year. Um, he's probably a, another mid late round guy, you know, based on how teams are evaluating him. Uh, but Rick, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, you know, how you view a guy like, like Tanner McHugh, you shouldn't have gone back for another year. Yeah. Well, all, all the, the reasons why he shouldn't have come back to Stanford, I agree with, because if you're going to come back one more year, you got to learn a whole new system. Who knows what that system's going to be? Is it the same thing they've been running in that pro style that they run? Or is all of a sudden it's, it's going to be something where it's spread and, and uh, air raid and all that other stuff? The question that I have, I really kind of liked him when I watched him on tape. I know Ryan was not a big fan of his, which I respect his opinion. Uh, but uh, he does have a quick release. I think he has more than enough arm talent. Uh, he's one of those... Uh, as you described, old school pocket passers, uh, a little bit like a couple years ago when we were looking at this, like a Kyle Trask type that came out of Florida, I think is the first guy to pop into my head a little bit. The question is, is where all these offenses are going in the NFL now. And it almost seems that every quarterback, one of the criteria that we didn't talk about even three, four years ago was the ability to buy a second chance, to make some plays with your feet, uh, things like that. So I do believe he is talented enough to get drafted. But the question is, what team is the best fit for him? And that's the thing where a lot of the uh, draft meetings are going on and you're talking with your offensive coordinator, uh, talking with your quarterback coach. Does this guy, not that he's not a good football player, not that he can't throw the ball, but he can he fit in the scheme that we run. And the other thing that you got to be really conscientious about is, okay, you have a starting quarterback that may be more mobile or mobile than uh, he is. And all of a sudden he's ended up being your number two quarterback. Do you have to change your whole offensive scheme or how do you adjust your offensive scheme to if he ends up, because of injury or he ends up being your starter, how do you change that midstream? So I thought, like, for example, when Tampa drafted Trask uh, or Task out of uh, Florida, that that was like similar to what, because they just had signed Tom Brady. So they're two 
kind of, I want to call him not anywhere near the goat and uh, and what he is, but kind of similar as far as big, strong arm quarterbacks that aren't very mobile. So that kind of fit their profile of a quarterback uh, and fit their system. But it'll be interesting to see what's coming out of these draft meetings and how will he get maybe judged on fitting only specific schemes because he is one of those uh, old school pocket type passers. No, that's that's the issue. I was I remember talking to West Coast scouts in the fall about him, and and there wasn't a lot of buzz. And you know, the draft media feels differently in, in some aspects. They have him as a top seventy five guy, which feels incredibly rich. I I think he's probably a mid to late day three guy, best case scenario. And I have him ranked as my QB eight. Jake Hayner's my QB seven, and my QB six is my guy Aiden O'Connell. That guy is tough, and he. I don't know who would win a foot race between him and Tanner McKee. It would probably be close because neither one of those guys is anything but a pocket passer. But um, Rick, we talked to Payne Durham uh, at the combine. Another guy that I like a lot. He ended up running a four eight seven. He, he's just a big tight end. He he plays a little faster than that in my mind. I thought he had a good senior bowl and had a good season as a reliable middle of the field target. But we also saw what Aiden O'Connell was able to do with Charlie Jones out there. And that guy will stand in the pocket and get hit in the mouth and deliver pass after pass. Um, did he have some mistakes? Yeah, every quarterback makes mistakes. Every quarterback makes bad decisions. But I, he feels like, to me, a guy that you can draft on day three. And I, I love that smile if you're watching on YouTube looking at his headshot there. Draft on day three, you can v- develop him. Maybe he's on the practice squad for a year or two. Eventually be a number two. Can come in and start two or three football games for you if your quarterback goes down. And you can feel pretty good about those chances uh, to win half those games, maybe even win one more than you lose. And, and I feel like that's his lane in the NFL. Uh, what do you think about that, Brady? What do you think about that scouting report? I'm a big Aiden O'Connell fan. He's another guy that I think would have fallen in the category of sleepers for me, but you had obviously you know, already picked him. We had the chance to watch him live in person a couple of times this past season, uh, and, and a few things stood out. Again, he checked all the boxes as, as far as being able to make all the throws. Uh, you talked about the toughness. I mean, we saw week one. You know, They had Penn State on a, on a Thursday night game, and he was taking some shots there early on, um, getting a lot of pressure. And he kept standing in there and delivering throws and time and time again and ended up being a back-and-forth game. Ultimately, Sean Clifford led Penn State down uh, for a drive that, that let them go ahead after he threw a pick six to go down in that game. But Aiden O'Connell um, provided every opportunity for Purdue to be in that game. Uh, and outside of Charlie Jones, they didn't have a ton of talent. You talked about Payne Durham. He was one of those other targets there uh, that he could throw to, but it wasn't a lot. And they really didn't have, didn't have much of a rushing attack. Um, so at the end of the day, a lot of credit uh, to, to Aiden O'Connell for the way he was able to stand in there and play. But another guy I think is accurate, a uh, good touch, not the strongest arm, not the biggest guy, not the most athletic in there with Tanner McKee, but he, he kind of fits uh, more of that old school lay round pick, uh, looking at him more as a, as a backup, as you had mentioned, kind of coming in and saving the day for a game or two. Rick, are you an Aiden fan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little too stiff for you? No, I – I respect your opinion, Ryan Wilson, and the evaluation that you placed on him. My question is to both of you, when you're talking about two pocket passers and the way the game in the NFL is all about space now and what, who, what you know, can these guys come in and function as potential backups? Maybe they can. Um, but, Brady, if you had to stack uh, your Stanford sleeper versus the Purdue sleeper, which one are you taking if you're on the clock and you need a backup quarterback? Purdue. Purdue. 
I, I think O'Connell moves a little bit better, too, in the pocket. He's got a little better pocket awareness. Tanner McKee, at times, it almost felt like he struggled to kind of feel the pocket uh, when he's navigating it and when he did get under duress. Uh, I think O'Connell moves a little better, and I think he also manages the pocket better. So it'd be O'Connell. It'd be Hainer in front of these sleepers we're talking about, O'Connell, and then Tanner McKee. All right. I would take Clayton Toon from Houston over both those guys, but that's my opinion. Oh, well, you, why don't you talk about him then? Yeah, what's, what's the deal with that then? You could, you could well, be a sleeper too. One sleeper. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I I, uh, I will allow you that. All right, let's take a quick break, and I'm going to talk about a promo. I don't know if Debo wants me to talk about this promo or not, but I'm talking about the Bracket Challenge promo, and if you're watching on YouTube, use that QR code in the top right corner to sign up for with the first pick slash pick six bracket challenge to compete against your favorites like us and your least favorites like Will Brinson and John Breach. If you're listening to the podcast, use the link at the top of the episode description. Go Tar Heels. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, let's talk top five quarterbacks. And we'll pick up the pace a little bit. We're halfway through this thing, and we're lollygagging along here. So, Brady, we talked to all the quarterbacks, as we typically do on the set. Usually you're there. We missed you in Indianapolis. Um, so right before we start taping, I, I turned to Hendon Hooker and I said, Hey, uh, Hendon, mean you have something in common. I'll give you $10 million. If you guess what I said next. Oh gosh. <laughs> I have, uh, don't even try. Just have the, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. What is it? Hey, Hendon, we both tore ACLs <laughs> 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 and he was incredibly gracious. He goes, Oh yeah. What kind of graft did you get? So we had a little conversation about that. I, I look the man's six, four, two fifteen. He might have been in the first round conversation had he been healthy and a few years younger. That's all we have in common. Let's be real. So anyway, he was he was fun to talk to. And and Rick, I'll I'll go to you first because I think we all agree we have him as our QB five. But you have pushed back on me a little bit when I said I would consider him late in the second round. You don't like that, but you do like the young man, right? Yeah, I love the kid and all the adversity that he has been able to overcome. And this is just another uh adverse situation with a torn ACL and being 25 like everybody is trying to poke holes in these kid as he comes out but out of all these players that we have talked about 
he is a one player that if you had to put money on a horse that is able to overcome all the negatives or all the red flags that people are putting on him, this kid's going to be able to do that. When we sat there and talked with him on the set, uh, he you can tell like when you sit there and talk with a player that he has that it factor. He has that quiet but confident leadership. You look it in his eyes. We talked to uh, Jalen Hyatt, the uh, receiver, and everybody to a man from Tennessee said he was the first one in the building. They're supposed to be over there in the mornings for meetings. His car was always the first one in the lot and the last one to leave. So I don't bet against players like this uh, that have shown to repeatedly overcome the adversity that they have faced. Now take what, and then you throw what you watch on tape this year. I mean, the arm talent, everybody's criticizing uh, Tennessee's offense and it's simplistic, but you still have to make those throws. You still have to make the correct decisions. And he even talked to us about how he did have to go through progressions in that offense. And I think he's underrated a little bit. And I know the ACL may inhibit him some, but he does make plays with his legs. So I was, uh, very impressed with the player that I saw on tape and even more impressed after you sit there and, and we had a 10 minute interview before Ryan pulled the mic from my mouth. Cause I still had a ton of questions to ask. Apparently uh, Ryan Wilson is also the uh, timer is how many questions I'm allowed to ask. Uh, but just getting, trying to get to know the young man, I can tell that he probably knocked every one of those interviews with those teams out of the ballpark. Brady, I'll tell you this. Pete, Pete Presco doesn't like talking to the players because he would rather talk to the to the coaches and the GM right. so, so right. he can do his thing. Rick loves talking to these players. I mean, he does it to the extent that I do have to tell him to stop talking because we're trying to talk to get these guys through other things to do. So I give him a ton of credit for that. And he will ask tough questions too. And I'll tell you about some of those in a second. But I want to ask about Hendon Hooker. I don't hate him in the second round for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example. Rick's not crazy about that. I've talked to teams that say late day two, more likely day three, which feels almost disrespectful to me. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I love the player. You guys talked about a lot of the adversity that he's, he's fought through, um, not only just changing schools, going to Tennessee from Virginia Tech, uh, but obviously the, the ACL tear and everything else. But I, I think when you when you talk to the young man, he, he kind of has that, um, that, that, that you call it a quiet confidence. It reminded me a little bit of Desmond Ritter from last year, a guy who was really experienced, also kind of had this quiet confidence about him and, and almost like a chip on his shoulder too. Obviously the biggest difference is Ritter didn't tear his ACL uh, where that's what the hooker's battling back from, but uh, both very experienced, just mature individuals. So I, I think kind of had that feel to them. Um, you know, the cop I threw out there was Geno Smith. And uh, it's, it's ironic that you think maybe he could be a second round guy because that's what Geno Smith ended up being. Both players experienced, played a lot of football, both came from offenses, too, that I think when you go back and look at them, you kind of said, all right, or were they maybe gimmicky? Was was there a lot of stat padding because of the style and the things they were doing? You know, I, I'd never forget that Tavon Austin coming across, catching this jet sweep pass. I think they did it like five times in a game, and he scored a touchdown in every single one of them. And you're just going, how nice would that be for a quarterback? You've got no risk. The shock and snap comes, you push it forward. Tavon Austin takes it, does the rest of the work. And if you happen to mess it up, it's not a fumble. It's an incomplete pass. So... Um, you would see some of those concepts too with Tennessee where you're watching Jalen Hyatt run wide open down the field and you're going, okay, is, is, you know, how hard is this an offense to put up stats in? 
But as Rick pointed out, you still have to make the throws. You still have to play in those clutch moments and, and you know, take on some of those, those giants that you have to play, like in Alabama. Um, and so I'm a big fan of the young man. <clears throat> I like to call him better than, you know, because he's got a better arm than you think. He's b- better athleticism than you think. Um, everything about him is kind of just better than you think. And so he's another kid you kind of throw into the category of, because I don't know that anyone looks at him as a first-round talent. So he's kind of with the, the rest of the group, and he's just a guy that I wouldn't want to bet against. You know, we kind of talked about that with Jake Hayner, you know, Hennon Hooker's another one of those guys. Yeah, and I for sure. Just add, uh, Ryan, I don't mean to cut you off. Just wanted to add one more thing is that I've interviewed thousands and thousands of players over my career, and just spending a few minutes with the young man on the set, there was something that just gravitates you towards his leadership, even though it's a quiet confidence. Reminded me a lot of Teddy Bridgewater when we interviewed him. Reminded me a lot of Jalen Hurts when we interviewed him as far as personality, as far as that confident but quiet leader. And when he speaks, people do listen because he's not going to speak up all the time. But you can tell when you sit there with a person, people and players will gravitate to him because of whatever that aura or that it factor he does have as a leader. Rick, does that change your evaluation though? Because you said the combine is mostly medicals and interviews. You know what the kid can do on tape and you don't like him in round two. Last time we talked, have you softened on that? Or you still feel the same because of the age and the injury? Well, apparently you didn't read my emails that I keep sending. So mine must go into his junk stack. (laughs) I never get a response, but (laughs) eventually I hope uh, that I'll get a response from uh, Ryan from my emails. But I did put him actually in the bottom of the second round, and I did put him to Tampa, I think, is uh, what I also said. So I think what Jalen Hurst went in the, in the second. You're right. And, you did. I see it here, right here. Debo wrote it down. Yeah. My fault. Go well, ahead. If you would get prepared for this show, it would go a lot smoother <laughs> instead of trying to read stuff as we keep going on here. Brady, you see what I have to work with sometimes? I, I, I do respect all the work that Ryan Wilson, <laughs> he is a fine young man. See, Brady, what happens is like he slips and he has to lash out and then he has to check himself and read off a sheet of paper where he says, I, I'm a good person. So it's it's a back and forth. He, he Look, he's working hard. I give him credit for, for trying to battle through this. And uh, he's like hitting the hooker in a lot of ways. All right, let's talk about Will Levis and Brady. He's number three on your board. Ricky's number three on your board. I have him number four. Because I'm not, I've in the past fallen victim to being convinced into something that I didn't believe with my eyes. And Brady, Rick, and I have talked talked this to death. So I want to talk with you about Will Levis in uh, specific. Well, let me double check. Actually, Debo wants a wants a check here. Rick is Levis number four or number three on your board. Oh, I don't know. I, I just turn in my work and then just let me well, know. What I'm supposed I'll, I'll to just say, do. typically when you have a tie, I'll, I'll, I'll tease a tie at the top. When you have okay. a tie at number one, you skip to three and oh, then go to four. I got you. That's <laughs> what he did. Okay, right. So Debo did it exactly right. So you have a tie at the top, so we'll see who that ends up being. And then you go to number three. So right. So technically, Rick and, and, and I have Levis number four. Uh, Brady, you have a number three. Rick and I have talked Will Levis to death. We we met with him last week in the, at the Combine. And to Rick's credit, he turned to Will before the interview started and said, listen, I'm going to ask some tough questions. And when the interview started, he said, listen, I crushed you during the year because of the way you played. Here's my question to you. And Levis, he didn't seem happy about it, but he wasn't a jerk. I'm sure he's tired. Of, he's been answering those questions all week. He answered the questions, and I thought he gave a pretty thoughtful answer. 
So, Brady, my question to you is, can you sell me on Will Levis as a franchise quarterback based on what we saw in 2022? And I know you have to tell me about 2021 and the coaching staff and all that. Go ahead. Yeah, and and let me just start off by uh, giving you my comp for him. Matt yeah. Stafford. Well, are you buying Matt Stafford? Because yeah. Okay, so the first thing when I look at a comp, the first thing I try to do is I watch a quarterback throw and I go, ooh, who does that remind me of? And, you know, when you watch Will Levis throw, he's got the – I mean, the ball jumps out of his hands. I mean, it just comes out effortlessly – very similar to Stafford and doesn't have to put much on it. And they both have howitzers for arms. So then I was like, all right, how do these guys kind of look comparatively when you stack them up? Will Levis was like six, four ish, I think two twenty nine, something like that. You, you weighed in and that was his height. Um, I had, I got Stafford at his combine at six, two plus two twenty five. So not too far off as far as body comp there. Right. Then you go into their stats and, you know, Rick, I'm sure during your time, I think you were what the vice president of player personnel at this point with the Vikings, um, looking at Stafford, but it wasn't like statistically speaking, he was wowing you at Georgia. You know, he had he had about uh, at least at the end of his career a two to one touchdown interception ratio, completion percentage that was just above sixty percent his last year there. So you were kind of looking at him, saying, "Okay, uh, what's the disconnect here? You know, is is it um, you know the offense? Is it who he's throwing to? Is it him? Is it something else? Whatever the case may be." Matt Stafford's still at number one overall, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and I think in large part because the upside and his upside ability. So if you want me to sell you on Will Levis, that would be, I think, the case that you're trying to make for him is he's got a big arm. He's an even better athlete than I think Stafford was, even though I think Stafford is a better athlete than we give him credit for, but very similar in that regard. Uh, and at least coming out of college, you know, going back and, and thinking of, of, of Matt Stafford back at Georgia versus, you know, Will Levis at Kentucky. Uh, and, and, you know, Levis has a better completion percentage, but the games become more spread out. Completion percentage are a little easier to manipulate now, but both showed some some inconsistencies in accuracy uh, as far as throwing the football around. So that was kind of my comp. I think that's the sell. Uh, it's hard to be able to honestly look at the 2022 tape and try to put together with the 2021 and go, how does this happen? <laughs> I think there are some reasons for it. And Rick, I'd be curious. I mean, I, I know as a general manager, you, you, and everything I'm going to say right now, you're going to say those are just excuses, but there's a lot of legitimacy to it, right? Like you had a change in offensive coordinator and from the people I know in Kentucky and talked about the system, they're like, Hey, it was way too complicated. The offensive line had no idea what they're doing. The wide receivers didn't know what they were doing. It was an NFL system for guys that like, honestly just could not pick it up. And I think that that, that plagued a portion of it. He wasn't practicing throughout bouts of the season, you know, walking around in a walking boot, just trying to make it through and try to be tough and play for his team. So He's banged up. He's got a system that is a new system to everyone. It's not going well anyway. And obviously, Mark Stoops made the decision to move on from him uh, at the end of the year. So it kind of gives you a little sense of, of how that works out. And Scangarello didn't last long during his time in Denver. So, um, you know, say what you want. But I do think there are some reasons for maybe the drop-off or the inconsistencies in play. My biggest concern is just, you know, you see some of the inaccuracies at all three levels and the in inconsistencies of, of his accuracy at all three levels. Um, it's not like it's just the short intermediate, you know, downfield, you see it throughout the season, you know, throughout drives, throughout games. And I think that's something that, you know, he's got to figure out a way of cleaning up. Uh, I don't know if it's a byproduct of the system or his eyes are not addressing them properly or what the case may be, but, um, that's my cell, uh, Ryan. So, so maybe you're buying that. Maybe you're not. So Rick, you, I think you told us previously on the podcast that you were Matthew Stafford's pro day. And, and that was something to watch with that arm strength. That's the strongest arm I have ever seen at a pro day. It was a windy day down at the University of Georgia, 
And when you stand there and you hear the ball whistling <laughs> through the air, you know it probably has a little pepper on that uh, heater that he's thrown. So I guess my question to Brady, since you played the position, I played it in high school, but I moved to linebacker right after uh, <laughs> right after that. So that was uh, – I ran a run and shoot, so we can go into my whole scouting report back in the day. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> we were way ahead of our time. Uh, but when you are getting hit as often as he got hit in the pocket, how does that affect your – technique how does that affect your accuracy knowing that okay i'm going to get probably hit in the mouth again here coming up and does that have a psychological or even any type of uh let me put it this way subliminal message in the back of your head that i'm probably going to get the crap hit out of me again here so i would just want to get the ball out and do the best i can and the other question i have for you is can accuracy be taught to a quarterback can accuracy improve and my analogy was okay if you're a four six guy in a 40 yard dash you run four six you'll never be a four three maybe you get to four five five but you'll never run a four three in the 40 so the question is okay he's an inaccurate passer we can improve it some but is it a trait that you either have or you don't have and we, we, that's why you're on the show here today, because of your area of expertise that can maybe set us straight on some of these questions that I do have about playing the quarterback position. So this falls under the category of you don't want your quarterback to be too smart, right? Because you got to be dumb enough to be able to drop back every single play. And even after getting blasted the last three dropbacks, believe that they're going to be able to protect you and there's not mismatch so you don't have a dysfunctional offensive line. So you would love your quarterback to be dumb enough to be able to play the way and think that way. But I think we'd all agree it's not human nature. Even the GOAT, even Tom Brady, he doesn't like being hit, right? Um, that's just part of the game. So to think that he probably didn't speed up some of his mechanics, to think that he probably didn't set properly to his some of his throws, or even at times you know got too focused on what was in front of him instead of what was downfield, um, those are all probably legitimate reasons as to maybe what played a role in, in the inaccuracy we saw this year versus last year, even though I will say this, I mean, his completion percentage uh, was only a point below what it was, I think, in, in 2021. So those are all le legitimate uh, legitimate things that I think you talk about um, and, 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 and probably buy into. And, and again, you don't want to make excuses for the guys, but the reality is in the NFL, those hits come that much faster, that much harder, and you got to figure out a way to get the ball out quick or before, you know, faster than that. Or you've got to figure out a way of protecting yourself up or, or being more mobile, getting outside the pocket, uh, which he was obviously not able to do given that, you know, he's kind of banged up, had an ankle and foot injuries dealing with. Uh, what was the second thing you asked? Because I'm, I'm still battling CTE here, Rick, so I'm sure I forgot some of that. And accuracy being proven. Oh. So, so I would say to your point, you're right. Like you're not going to make a guy the most accurate quarterback in the league. Um you know, from from dramatic fundamentals and, you know, footwork improvement, mechanical improvements, you know, you can improve it, but only to a certain degree. I, I would say this, though, the tag on Josh Allen was he was inaccurate. Like, that's all I heard about him coming from Wyoming. And all I did was watch the, the game versus Iowa, maybe a couple of their games that I watched that year. And I was like, this kid's not inaccurate. He's just got a, a really strong arm. He's still trying to figure out how to throw a touch. He's got dro guys dropping bars, left balls left and right. 
And even when he got to Buffalo, like you saw a bunch of drops his first couple of years. And then it start, he started to adjust where you get Stefan Diggs. That's part of it. Um, you have a great wide receiver like that. He makes your life easier and the stats look better. Um, but even from that, I think they started to, to adjust to his style and he got more comfortable within the offense. And, and I think the stability of playing in Brian Dable's system for three years, uh, the stability of everything out around him that he had as, as far as the chemistry of guys he was working with, and then adding a guy like Stefan Diggs who could separate, who could make contested catches, who could make him look good on some of his inaccurate throws, all of that made him look now like one of the best passes in the league. Um, and so, so I think you can improve it, maybe in some cases, depending on the supporting cast, drastically. Um, but there is probably a ceiling, um, you know, in, in that regard. And and just one point, Brady, off of that is that people and and analytics and all that stuff, they'll look at completion percentage and let's say it's fifty six percent. Well, how many of those were dropped by the receiver? Right. Right. Uh, or his interceptions are up. How many of those are because it pinged off the receiver's hand or got and deflected and, up in the air? And you and know what I'd love, you know what I'd love to see is so. is the correlation with arm strength and drop percentage, right? Like Matt Stafford, how it's a for an arm. He hit over 60% one time in his entire college career. And then, then you look at Josh Allen, same thing. Uh, I believe I've got him at uh 56%, 56% back-to-back years where he, where he started at Wyoming. Um, you, know, you, you start combing through guys with strong arms to have guys who end up having more drops. Like that's just kind of part of it. Cause you know, it's not as soft of a ball. It's, it's humming. As you said, it's making a sound. It sounds like a whistle when it's, it's coming your way. And, and a lot of the throws that you're making at the NFL level are throws that, you know, the, the wide receiver is not gonna be able to see you release the ball, or at least he shouldn't Right, the timing of these plays. The ball should be out before that receiver is out of his cut. And so that ball sometimes jumps on them as compared to other guys who have a little, you know, softer touch, softer arm and are, and are placing the ball a little bit further away as these receivers get out of their cut. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that this is the beginning of the process. It's not the end of the process. So while I don't love Will Levis as much as some other people, that doesn't mean he won't be a great football player, but Rick, uh, I want like a 10 second answer. And I ask Brady the same question. We'll move on to our next quarterback, but Pete Prisco is coming around on Will Levis and I, I, I won't, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he's pushing him for QB one. We'll see how far down that road he gets, but I asked him this question yesterday and uh, I'll let you guess the answer. But I said, knowing everything we know now, about every player on planet earth, if you're the 2023 Steelers, would you rather have Kenny Pickett going into the season or would you rather have Will Levis? Rick, who are you taking? I'm taking Will Levis because of the upside. Brady, who are you taking? Same. I'd probably take Levis. I, I think he's – Kenny Pickett's a good athlete. I, I think Will, Will Levis is probably a little bit even better at an, of an athlete. Uh, definitely Levis has a stronger arm. Uh, and even though Pickett played well down the stretch, I, I would – and it's tough because you've seen him play in the NFL now. He's, right. he's played well, so it's it's hard even seeing that. But I think Levis is maybe a little more upside there. All right, the bad news is that you both agree with Pete Prisco. All right, on to the next quarterback. Can we redo the question? Debo <laughs> <laughs> will dub over your voice, and you can say anybody but Will Levis. All right, Anthony Richardson. Brady, we'll get your thoughts here first because Rick and I have talked to Anthony Richardson to death. I'll just say this. When he walked on set uh, last week, he was taller and thicker than Will Anderson. He had 11-inch hands when it was all said and done. A shade under 6'4", 244, ran a 4'4", 3. And he told us straight up, he said, listen, 
I was always the biggest and the fastest kid on the field. No surprise there. And I was doing too much hero ball last year. And that's why things went sideways at times. And, and I have to figure out, and you're a proponent of this. And, and Pete Prisco is in general too. He said, I want to play on day one, but I understand if that's not in my best interest, where are you on Anthony Richardson? Super freak. Yeah. I think he could end up being the, the best player in this draft class at the quarterback spot. He, he has that sort of potential. His ceiling is higher than anyone else but his floor is probably as, as low as anyone's, um, right? So so there's that sort of potential for that sort of play. Uh, I think he's got a really a, a raw skill set. Uh, at times he flashes where you really see him put it together. Uh, the Tennessee game in particular, there's a few throws where he had to manipulate the pocket uh, and deliver some strikes, and, and he did that. Um, you Obviously, the arm strength, the athleticism, we kind of knew that going into the combine. Like That event was built for Anthony Richardson to, to go out and show out. But then you start to see some of the missed throws that he made on some of the intermediate routes, whether it's the outs to his left or some of the other throws throughout the combine. And you're saying, okay, you know, he hasn't thrown to these guys before. But at the same time, you know, you're seeing some of these other guys like CJ Stroud, who hasn't thrown to these guys either, and they're completing passes to him. So um, it's, you know, again, he, he's, he's raw. That's the bottom line. My comp for him is Josh Allen. You know, Josh Allen, 6'4 plus, about 237 when he came out in the combine. Andrew Richardson, 6'4, 244. You look at them athletically, they both are freak athletes for that size. You know, strongest arm in the draft class, in my opinion. Josh Allen had the strongest of his. Uh, both guys sub 60% completion percentage and very raw when you watch them on tape. But I think they're, they're skills that you can work with. So, um, you know, is it in his best interest to sit and watch for a year? Maybe. Um, I, I sometimes feel like that's overrated um, because, you know, a quarterback plays a, a, a game where you need experience, you need reps. And the only real reps you can give someone to help them truly improve is those live game reps. And so you got to build a, an offense and a system around that allows them to be successful. I think you can do that. Um, but I think more than anything else, if you're going to play him, you got to be patient with him. And so it might look ugly in the beginning, but I think he's the type of player, you know, he'll get better the more reps he gets. Rick, let me ask you some follow-ups to what Brady just said here. Um, you guys do a whole core of testing beyond just how fast you run and how you jump. And you've talked in the past about how important it is to differentiate between a smart quarterback and a quarterback who processes quickly. Is there a test to figure out whether Anthony Richardson, how soon he should be on the field other than the eyeball test, number one. And number two, if your owner loves Will Levis more than Anthony Richardson, but you and, and, and the scouting department talk him into Anthony Richardson, do you have the understanding that you're going to have a two-year leash? Or is this a thing where you might have to have a, a visit into the office after week six and you lost 45 to nothing because the quarterback threw four interceptions? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will just say this. Uh, when, when he walked on our stage, I thought Brady Quinn was very impressive and intimidating and uh, <laughs> coming up there the way uh, he walked on when he had his shirt off at the combine when he came out. <laughs> This guy made Brady Quinn look small. So, <laughs> But my biggest problem with him, I recognize everything that everybody's been saying. This is a kid out of anyone that I want to know how he processes and how he can get through his progressions. Because when I watch tape and a guy with this freak athletic ability, if his number one option is not open, then he's relying on making a play with his feet or doing something crazy. Can he become more patient sitting in a pocket, letting some things develop and reading and getting through his progression? So you try to come up with tests that kind of try to indicate that, 
Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to be a surefire thing because if it was, there'd be a guy making a million dollars here uh, if they came up with an answer to the burning bush question, as they like to say, trying to figure out these quarterbacks. Hey, Rick, but, let, let me let, let me interrupt you quickly. Did, did you guys use virtual reality sometimes to simulate pre-snap, post-snap, or no? Did you yeah, guys we, have virtual reality? Huh? Did you guys have virtual reality stuff? No, he was in the league <laughs> last year. I, I know. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know how much they'd use it for the comments. fired 10 years ago. I actually <laughs> did do some. <laughs> let the body, let the body get cold first. Before you, uh... <laughs> no, I just meant like, I don't recall that being a part of like any part of the process uh, at the combine. At least we didn't no, talk no. about it. Sorry, that... Brady, not at the combine. Once you get into the building, then. Oh, not... gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. Yeah, we actually uh, worked with a company that. Uh, filmed all our practices with a 360 degree camera oh. right behind the quarterback at the quarterback eye level. So you can actually put on the virtual reality glasses and uh, watch his head movement and it moves on the screen. So the coach is asking, why are you looking here and not here? Nice. Was was it, I think it's was going it to Striver. Huh? Was it Striver? Is that who you guys used? Yeah. yeah. So they, they kind of continued to evolve, and I worked a lot with that group because we were always trying to find the answer to that test. But I think in a nutshell, I know we got to get moving here, is that Anthony Richardson, I agree, may be the highest ceiling, but may fall the farthest. So he's a typical boom or bust out of all these quarterbacks. All right, Rick, let me ask you, because Debo wants answers. Teams that need a quarterback in the first round, the Texans at one, at two, the Colts at four, the Raiders at seven, the Panthers at nine, the Jets are at 13. We can include Washington in there if we want to. The Jets make it Aaron Rodgers. We'll see. Tampa Bay and then Baltimore if this Lamar thing doesn't work out. What is the best fit from day one for Anthony Richardson? I would say if he can go to a place where there is a veteran in place, and hmm. I still think for, for me – it's the Carolina Panthers because okay. they still have Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold came back last year after he was benched. He was functioning as a maybe the best uh, quarterback they had on the roster because uh, Baker Mayfield had struggled. But I think if he can, if Sam Darnold can hold the fort down until Anthony Richardson is ready, uh, that would be the best scenario in my opinion. What do you think, Brady? Do you think it's the best landing spot? Rick didn't like uh, me having the mock draft where Anthony ended up with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels just because of the, compli the, the complicated offense and, and how that may not work out for him in the near term. Uh, by the way, I think Sam Donald might be a free agent, so I'm not even sure he's under contract right now. So th they would have to bring back uh, Donald, which maybe he'd be willing to do so. This one's going to be interesting. Uh, Seattle. You know, you, you might be calling it a premium then for what you just signed uh, Geno Smith to, but, um, you know, that might be an interesting spot. You know, go put him behind a guy who just really plays some great football. He's played and learned a lot uh, over, over the years. Uh, that'd be a good system, good guy to sit behind. And I think we've seen them have success too uh, with Russell Wilson early on in his career as he continued to develop uh, into more of a pocket passer uh, during the end of his time with the Seattle Seahawks. So, Seattle will be an interesting one. I think they've they've obviously got the draft capital to do it. I think they pick up, what, five and 20? Is that right? Yeah, I think you're right, so, sir. So maybe they don't go there at five. Um, you know, you know, John Snyder, Rick, he either wants to trade back out of it just to get more picks. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I'm going to, I mean, that would be an ideal scenario mm, because uh, Seattle, we talked about it last night, likes to celebrate players, uh, what they call it, their, we celebrate their uniqueness. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because they have taken some projects and some guys with some off-field issues at times, and Pete Carroll and John Schneider have a great program in place to handle that and to keep them on track, and that would be, to me, yeah, that would be a great scenario. But I'm going to ask you this question, Brady, is that they're at five. They can't move out, okay? And we talked about this last night. Uh, Jalen Carter falls down to them. There's no way um, knowing their history. Or let's say he doesn't fall. And Ryan Wilson's twin brother, Tyree Wilson, who Ryan claimed is uh, <laughs> mother from another brother. Uh, <laughs> So, but him and, and his long lost twin, Tyree Wilson, would you go Anthony Richardson there or would you go Tyree Wilson there, the pass rusher? Yeah, I think you go best player available. I mean, that's kind of been Pete and John's MO, right? They go defense. Like, that's just what they do. So, I mean, it's not necessarily what I would do in that case. If I, if I really was in love with the idea of Anthony Richardson sitting for a year and being our guy. Um, but, but I think I think they go defense there, and then they hope that Richardson falls them at twenty, or maybe they would make a move to move up somewhere uh, from twenty to to go get them. As again, we know the Seahawks like to move around a decent amount, so uh, that might be an ideal scenario. But uh, for Anthony Richardson to be able to sit and watch uh, after the year Geno had the contract he signed, you know they're they're tied to him at least for a year, if not two. So it gives Richardson a little time to develop. Rick, twenty second answer, and then we'll go to break and and get these top two quarterbacks let's say you're at five you plan on taking anthony richardson you're the gm are you calling gino are you worried he's going to be upset if we're signing the new deal or you don't care yeah yeah i mean even i think that it's a uh a call that needs to be made just okay. so they're not rocked off their uh you know we just signed you to a contract you're our guy but just understand we want to make sure that we're grooming a young guy behind you as well but i think that's uh the first class way to handle the situation and First class way an organization can organization uh, can give a quarterback a heads up that hey we're going to draft this guy here at five but I wanted you to be in the loop that what we're going to do so when the media calls you five minutes later and asking you all X Y and Z you're prepared for this. What if he or his agent are very very angry about that? What do you do well, then? That's yeah I don't think they're going to be very angry about it. knowing Geno Smith and we talked about adversity and all the adversity he's been through. I think he's happy that he finally got a payday, okay. uh, even though it's a three-year deal. And then if you're a competitor, bring him in. I'd love to tutor him, but he's not going to take my job. I know that for a fact. So. All right. I love it. We'll be back in just a second with the final two quarterbacks. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. All right, let's power through these because Brady's got things to do. Rick's got mansions to enjoy out his front window there. Mansions. Just, there's no M on it. It's just we can't afford the M. It's just an answer. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, CJ Stroud, number two here. Brady, you have him number two. I have him number two. Uh, little uh, spoiler alert here. Rick has him at 1B to our guy Bryce Young, 1A. That'll be a fun conversation in a second. Here's the, the thing on CJ for me, Brady, is it feels like he's flown under the radar somehow, even though he's played Ohio State for two years. Uh, at least when we talk about the other quarterbacks in this class, but he might be one of the most consistent. He doesn't throw with the anticipation of Bryce Young. He doesn't have the arm of Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. But he makes plays, and it felt like, and I think Rick agrees with me on this, when we talked to him at the Super Bowl and then we talked to him at the Combine last week, you get a, a better sense of who he is, and, and he comes away as a more impressive uh, person and, and player, obviously. Deanna Connell said the same thing. Where are you on C.J. Stroud, and are there any concerns uh, about what he might be in the NFL? No, I, I don't really have any concerns about C.J. Stroud. I, I think, you know, one of the things that we always talk about when it comes to this time of year is, like, what's his ceiling? You know, is he is he coming in at kind of his ceiling? Like, how much more can he improve? He's incredibly accurate. He's the most accurate passer, you know, in this class. Like, again, he was another player that going to the combine, I was like, you got two ends of the spectrum. You have Richardson who's going to wide with his athleticism, arm strength, and then you have a surgeon in C.J. Stroud who's going to literally hit every single throw He's got plenty of arm strength, and he's going to just be able to ace everything else, every, every other test he gets. So both those – and then he's going to check boxes too, right, as far as his size, and, and you know, he's not dealing with what Bryce Young's dealing with. So um, it, it was no surprise that, you know, you looked at him and you said, okay, like this is set up for him to succeed. My concerns are pressured, clean pocket. You're looking at the stats right now if you're able to watch the screen. Um, and that was something I had noticed. You know, really starting, um, you know, two years ago – and then watching tape, preparing to go on to games and talk about Ohio State and C.J. Stroud going into this year. I saw early versus Notre Dame week one. They had a couple hits, a little pressure on him early, and he was a different player. Iowa, in particular, in that game, a different player. They had a, a sack fumble that had going for a touchdown. I think that might have been Iowa's only points in that game, uh, which were defensive, which is no surprise if you watch Big Ten football in Iowa this year. Shout out uh, to Chris Hassel. Yeah, but, but the point is, you know, when he got hit early in games – he didn't have his best games. Um, that being said, I think he showed something, you know, that he hadn't showed his entire career versus Georgia. That was his mobility. He showcased the ability to do it, but even also playing really tough in that game, uh, which alleviated some of the, the doubt that I kind of had, uh, but also left me questioning, like, where was that his entire time at Ohio State? So, um, look, my confidant was Jared Goff, uh, who yep. came from a system like to sling the football around, but it was very accurate. All three levels throwing the football, uh, very similar uh, body comp as well to CJ Stroud. Uh, I think Stroud's showcase might be a little bit better athlete, but the bottom line is I can easily see him being the first quarterback taken in this draft class. It's just 
you know, to me, and I'll ask Rick this, like how much better can he get? When you look at Levison Richardson, I, I think you don't, you know, you don't have that question because you're saying, oh, they can get a lot better from here. Like they might end up being some of the most talented players in the NFL. Stroud kind of walks in as almost that. Can yeah, I everything, yeah, go ahead. What, what do you think about uh, Brady's question about how much more can, how much better can CJ get based on what we've seen so far? Well, the first thing he has, and I agree 100% is accuracy because he is the most, besides uh, Bryce Young, he is the right there uh, as far as accuracy goes. And the only thing that I disagree with is because all of a sudden, whatever beast unleashed during the Georgia game, and why haven't we seen that before? But if that beast is unleashed now going forward, then, yeah, yeah, he can definitely get better uh, because not only can he stand in a pocket, in a clean pocket, and make all the throws very accurately that he's going to have to make at the NFL level, but now if you're telling me off the glimpses we've seen, and I started to see it in the Michigan game, um, him making off-schedule throws, him making plays with his feet. And that's what I said. I'm sure that's the number one question in everybody's interview room is, why wait until those two games? And is this what we're going to get going forward? So if this is what we're going to get going forward, then, yeah, that's why I kind of snugged him up there uh, to 1B and moved him ahead of the pack of the uh, Levises and Richardson because I had my doubts too. I said, and as long as he's clean in the pocket, he can throw with the best of them. But he's so mechanical sometimes when the pocket breaks down and he's not processing. But all of a sudden, whatever clicked in his head or whatever clicked with him came out in that Georgia game. And if you're getting a quarterback you saw in Georgia and that continues at the NFL level, then he definitely has upside and will be a, uh, a very good quarterback at this next level. So, Rick, let me ask you, is there a uh, wider number of teams that are a good fit for CJ because he seems to fit more schemes and there's there, he's answered more questions than, than Anthony Richardson and, and probably Will Levis? Or do you think there's a, a team in particular that makes the most sense for him? I, I think he's just too talented to fit any scheme. And I think nowadays with the type of quarterbacks that are coming out uh, from the collegiate level, Offensive coordinators are more willing to adjust their schemes to fit what that quarterback skill set is. I thought, you know, back before it was in vogue, what Greg Roman did with Baltimore's offense when they got Lamar Jackson. And he's not a pocket passer, but they're a different offense than when Joe Flacco was in there, a quarterback for him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I would say the same thing about what you saw with Justin Fields and how they adjusted their offense to what Justin does. And I still think he needs to improve as a passer. And I think he made some strides in his second year, but all of a sudden he's running up and down the field because they did something to adjust their offensive scheme to fit Justin Fields skill set. All right, Brady Bryce young time. Number one, overall five, 10 and one eighth, somehow way two Oh four. He chugged more water than Chase <laughs> did a few years ago. He ain't playing at two Oh four. My comp for him is Russell Wilson. I changed it because I'm going to get all the Wilsons in the league involved in this podcast. Um, Russell Wilson pre-Denver, by the way. Obviously, aside from the fact that he's 5'10 and a quarter and weighs 204 or whatever, any concerns about Bryce Young? 
Yeah, outside of the durability factor, which again, I mean, he obviously was durable during his time at Bama. And I think the one thing that uh, reminds me of your comp for him, Russell Wilson, and that would be my comp as well. I think size-wise, they're almost the exact same, combine uh, height as well as weight. But uh, Russell did a really good job of of usually taking care of himself. Now, there are are always instances where you get blasted with a guy you don't see. But for the most part, when he would scramble around and create and run, he would be able to protect himself uh, at that size. He was very cognizant of that. Uh, Bryce Young, very similar in that, in that, from that standpoint. I think the biggest difference is like Bryce comes as a much more refined pocket passer. He throws with anticipation. He's extremely accurate. He's got a, a high football IQ. And, and what really strikes me as the most like uncanny thing that he does is the way he's able to throw with out his bottom half at all. I mean, his feet can be in whatever place they want, and he could still throw an accurate football pretty much anywhere down the field. Uh, he really does have something about the way he he manipulates the pocket and moves around to throw. It almost reminds me of and and you know, not that boxing is great to watch anymore, but uh, back in the day, you watch some of the, the greatest boxers of all time. You know, Sugar Ray, some of them, the way they manipulate the ring to throw like an overhand knockout right. That's that's almost how it reminds me of how he navigates the pocket where he's just waiting, waiting, waiting and setting up to be able to, you know, take that big knockout, you know, punch. Um, at times he has a tendency to hold on to the football too long to try to look for something bigger downfield. You saw that a little more this year though, because I think the receivers had a harder time uh, separating and getting open. But that being said, he's just such a uniquely talented quarterback. Um, I, I've said this to a bunch of people. Like I, Really enjoyed watching him every single week. Every I'd, I'd watch his tape every single week. It was like, it was like just a pleasure to watch as, as a former quarterback watching a current guy the way he plays the game. So excited to see where he goes and how things pan out for him. Uh, but he's a tremendous young man too. All right, let's talk about that because Rick, we know how you feel about Bryce the same way Brady feels and the same way everyone except Pete Prisco feels. Who, by the way, still has Br- Bryce as his QB one. He just likes to stir the pot. Um. The thing that comes like if there was one word to describe Bryce, I think it's unflappable. And his teammates said that we talked to five or six of his teammates last week. Every single one of them, all defenders, all saw him every day in practice, marveled at his ability just to stand in the pocket. We we're just talking about CJ Stroud and pressure, and seemed like there was no pressure at all, and continue to make plays. Rick, is there a team that you feel like makes the most sense for for Bryce uh, to get? hit the ground running and get his career going on day one, um, more so than the others of the team that needs quarterbacks. Obviously, because of San Francisco, they're going to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I want to add to a great point that you just made, uh, Ryan Wilson, uh, is that uh, we even talked to players that played against them, a la Juju Brents, and talked oh, yeah. about how fascinated, I want to say fascinated, but just, he said, that is something unique when we had to play against a player like that. And you don't expect that when he walks out on the field, he's not going to be the first guy (laughs) that you uh, towed off the bus to show, hey, this is our starting quarterback. (laughs) But once he puts that helmet on and uh, that whistle blows, uh, I, I haven't seen anyone play quarterback position like he does with such savvy such awareness, just a natural feel for the position in, in a while. And I know uh, Brady, because uh, Pete Prisco will rip me and everybody else will rip me, but when you talked about him being able to make those same type throws without setting his feet and, and throwing from different platforms where his arm's up here and sometimes it's here and doing all this stuff, I said not size-wise, 
but his style of play reminded me of some of the things that you see Patrick Mahomes do on the field. Now, everybody, well, well Ryan Wilson laughs at me, and uh, right, and uh, Pete Prisco laughs at me, and that's fine. I'm here to build everybody's self-esteem up. But I do think he has some very unique talents and traits. And best place for him is I think they're crazy if Houston does not take him because you're playing indoors, you're playing in the AFC South. Maybe maybe people would be concerned if he had to go up and be the starting quarterback in Green Bay or Buffalo where you're playing in cold weather, Chicago, outdoors. But if the Houston, Texas take him, and playing in the stadiums and in the division that they play in, I think he's going to excel as a rookie right off the bat. No, I think that's exactly right. All right, let's take a quick look at Rick's quarterback rankings, the last pot, last five classes, excuse me. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it on the old screen here in a second once Debo hits the button. And uh, Brady, I want to get your your thoughts. If anything sort of sticks out that you that surprises you or too high, too low, uh, on this list, I'll say immediately this list is is ten deep, uh, eleven deep if you count four A and four B. Can you preference this list for yeah. uh, Brady that this was when they came out, not where they're at today, right? But when yep. we evaluated them when they came out uh, for the draft. So no, this that's draft, a good qualification. And thank yeah, you for, for making that call. Pro playing experience. Right. So if you're if you're listening the list and this is how Rick evaluated the quarterbacks before they were drafted, he had Trevor Lawrence 1, Joe Burrow 2, Justin Herbert 3, Bryce Young 4A, CJ Stroud 4B baby, Tua at 6, Justin Fields at 7, Anthony Richardson at 8, Josh Allen 9, Jalen Hurts 10. Anything strike your fancy there Brady? Uh well Hurts at 10 is kind of interesting only because um you know looking at the past 5 classes and the talent and all that um it, I mean looking at what he's developed into now. And I think how he developed from Bama to Oklahoma, you could see some of that. Um, but, but crack the top 10. That's, uh, that's a good one there. Uh, Richardson being up there at eight. That's what <laughs> that stands out. I mean, that's all Richardson's all upside. Like, like that you're just, I mean, you're betting on, on him and especially surpassing uh, Josh. Yeah, Allen. Like, with you. This was based on my evaluations and I did fall in love with Jalen Hurst after my interview with him. I yeah. Did, which, I which is easy to do like that. Again, another guy extremely mature, just like a like a wise young man, uh, wiser than his years. I mean, I, I wouldn't change a ton. Like the Herbert Tua one's always interesting, right? They'll always be compared because of where they were drafted same year and taken. Um, you know, to me, I was a, a bigger fan of the way Tua kind of spit the ball around coming out of Bama, but there was the injury concerns. And with Herbert, you know, you just never saw him. He, he progressed every year, but it was never that like next step. And then I saw him in the bowl game. And That's the bowl game that got his name up there pretty good. I was good just going to say, like, that bowl game changed everything. So uh, I, I can understand that. I probably would have Bryce Young ahead of Herbert. Um, that's just how I feel about him, the way he plays. And then Herbert, then wow. Stroud. Love it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a solid list. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. The Richardson one's interesting, though. That That's going to be the one that, that, that that's going to be interesting to watch and see, um, especially as prospects coming out, because you know at least Allen had two years of playing time. I mean, Richardson's yeah. only got one. I mean, have we ever seen a quarterback drafted with that few of, you know, touchdown passes? I mean, Mark Sanchez kind of comes to mind because he what only about, started the year, right? What about Tannehill? What did he do? Because he was a receiver too. And Mitch Trubisky, were their numbers? They probably put up more numbers. We'll have to circle back on that on another podcast. But uh, that's a great question, Brady. That's called teasing for the next show. <laughs> so there you go 
Well, there we go. Look at Debo. Fewest pass touchdowns in FCS FBS career. Michael Vick's at the top at 21. Trey Lance at 30. Uh, didn't play his oh, last year. How much does Sanchez have? Sanchez had, I mean, he's the only started one year, right? Don't ask questions you don't know the answer to, Brady. That's what I've been doing. I'm trying to look <laughs> it up now, but I know we got to close this thing out. So, well, while you looked it up, I'll tell you quickly last week, and, and Rick sort of hinted at this, making fun of me. I, I'm now calling all these players young men, and, and Debo started a young man counter. So, last week during one of the shows in the A block, I said young man 17 times. Debo kept up with the young man. 41 touchdowns for Sanchez, according to Debo. Yeah, but that's again, he only started one year. So Debo's including the other year where he started a few games. Uh, I'm not sure what we're, we're using for this stat, but oh, uh, Debo, y'all over Debo more than Rick is 34 and seven. What else you got, Brady? Well, I've got Tannenhill as well. Tannenhill okay. did start though, um, for a year and a half, basically. Okay, at 42. Okay, so yeah, you are you're on to something there. Yeah. Pretty smart for a guy who walks around Indianapolis with no shirt on. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I was just doing what Rick told me to do. I was doing what Rick and the rest of the NFL people there they tell you to do. All right. That's why they call it the underwear Olympics. You know, you're walking around your skivvies the whole time. What do you want to say, Rick? I, I, I am good. And now, now that Brady ripped my list and I feel very bad about my list that uh, Brady didn't agree with it. I like it. know how you feel now, Ryan Wilson, when I kind of get in you on your mock draft. I, I, said, I said I would move up Bryce Young. That was about it. But I was, I, I, was just, I was honestly surprised to see Richardson where he was um, amongst that group. I thought maybe you'd have him a little lower. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't have Hurts a little higher. But the Hurts one was interesting, too. because because I, I, I just I fell in love with Hurts after that interview. And then anyone – that can go through what he went through at Alabama, bounce back and go to Oklahoma and did what he did. Sometimes you get everybody gets so enamored with these numbers at the combine and the stats and stuff. But look at the guy's history and guys that usually find a way to get over adversity and it never phases them and they keep moving forward. And every time they hit a bump, they're even more successful the next time. You got to put a lot of credence into that when you make your decision as well. I was when uh, he told me he was squatting after games at Oklahoma. I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, I'd, I'd go to work out and squat." I was like, "Okay, that's you're on a different level. Like that's just a different level of how yeah. you're spending your time there in Norman. I've never heard that before in my life." When Brady Quinn does a double take about working out, you know you're doing something that very few people do. Um, yeah, you've been talking up Jalen Hurts for a while, and you were right about that one, Rick. Um, and by the way, we're done. That's it. That's a wrap on episode twenty. Remember, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on old YouTube there. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. Thank you again for all the support. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern for Mock Draft Thursday, Rick. So thanks yeah. to my co-host, Rick Spielman, our QB1, Brady Quinn. Thanks to Devo for producing. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.